This morning we continue our Refuse series in uh, Matthew chapter 26. Today is Refusing the Anointing. And we'll be looking at Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. And in this, just kind of set your mind to where we're headed. This is the anointing of Jesus in Bethany before the Passover. And we're going to look at three perceptions of the uh, anointing, but also... What is our perception of the anointing? How do we receive that as well? So Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record in there, an anointing of Jesus. In Matthew 26, we just read, there was an unnamed woman. She anointed Jesus in Simon the leper's home in Bethany right before Passover. In the book of Mark, Mark 14, we see the exact same event. In Luke chapter 7, there's an anointing of Jesus by a woman in Simon the Pharisee's home. And then in John 12, we have Lazarus' sister, Mary, who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume in Bethany before the Passover. Well, logically, I look at this and, and I think, well, how many times... Did, did Jesus get anointed? And how many women actually participated in the events throughout the Gospels? Well, if you've ever chased a rabbit, I began chasing one this week. I read far too many commentaries about why this is one event, four different descriptions, or why this is three events. And there was no agreement among any commentaries. Everyone had their own uh, theory behind this. Uh, even one said that uh, Judas was the son of Simon, um, and, and Simon was married to Mary. I, I don't know where you get that, but that was one of the assumptions. So in my frustration, as I continue going through this, I thought, well, this morning, here's what we could do. We can consider each argument 
and then decide which opinion we feel is best. But I didn't land there. Here's where I settled. The Bible does not clearly say. You can have an opinion and that's okay. But the Bible does not clearly say Therefore, knowing the frequency of how many times Jesus was anointed and by whom is unimportant. What is important? Well, what's important is that Jesus was anointed. That's important. And specifically, in the scripture that we read this morning, it happened before the Passover in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper by an unnamed woman with extravagant perfume. That's all we need to know to move forward. What's the significance of an anointing? You hear this term used a lot today, an anointed message, an anointed person. I've been anointed to be a prophet. You, You hear these phrases throughout, but what is anointing? Let's just spend a moment there. Anointing is simply an outward sign that God has chosen you for a specific purpose. Now, that should not be taken lightly. Because if you say that you're anointed, biblically, you're claiming that God has chosen you. He has spoken to you and he has chosen you for a purpose. Therefore, if you don't fulfill the purpose, then you're speaking against God. Well, in the Old Testament, we see the prophets, the priests, the kings, they were all anointed. They were chosen by God for a specific purpose. And uniquely, Jesus is anointed in all three roles. As prophet, Jesus announced an end to all our sins. As priest, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for all our sins. And as king, Jesus removed the rule of all our sins. It's possible that God revealed to this woman the anointing of Jesus. And she sought to honor him by anointing him in public. But more likely... She was just recognizing Christ's worth to her and loving him and showing love in this way. The word Christ means anointed one. And it's the Greek equivalent for the word in Hebrew that means Messiah. So they're all tied together. Christ is the Messiah the anointed one of God who has a specific purpose, who who is the sacrifice for the world, the sin of the world, that we might be reconciled to God. In Matthew 16, 16, Peter made the great confession. You are the Christ. And he said this before the disciples. You are the Christ. And then in Matthew 16, verses 20 and 21, Jesus told the disciples not to tell people that he was the Christ, but that he was to be, uh, he was to suffer, he was to die, and he was to be raised on the third day. But just from those two encounters alone in, in Matthew chapter 16, 
What would the disciples know about Jesus? The great confession and then what Jesus said to them about being Christ? Well, they would know that, first of all, Jesus is the anointed one. And secondly, he is going to die. That's what they should know from those encounters. Verse 7, let me read that again. A woman came up to him, that's Jesus, with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Now, the woman humbled herself to him. She sacrificed something of great value to express the Lord's worth to her, and she anointed him. Now, we can, we can look at those elements, and I can generally ask you, what does that describe? It describes an act of worship. That's what it is. You're, you're humbling yourself, sacrificing. There's an, an act here, and there's an anointing that's happening. You know, we call this a worship service, don't we? We're going to worship. We're going to worship service. We, we sang about worship. We had, uh, I guess the reality is just because you attend a worship service doesn't mean you worship. Uh, worship service is an opportunity to worship together. So it, it's more than listening to some of your favorite songs. It's more than listening to someone pray. It's, it's more than listening to someone have a discourse on a portion of the Bible. Worship involves humility, sacrifice, and expression. So if you've come to worship, am I humble? Am I making a sacrifice? Am I expressing God's worth to me outwardly? And just like the the fragrance of her expensive ointment filled that household, worship is a sweet aroma to God. Leviticus 1.9 says the sacrifice offered on the altar is a sweet aroma to God. Ephesians 5.2 says the offering and sacrifice of you and I loving one another is a sweet aroma to God. When we express the Lord's worth, he is pleased. On the other hand, when we allow anything or anyone to have greater importance in our life, We steal the worship that's due him. Now, I know this morning that that none of us intentionally get up in the morning and say, you know what I think I want to do today? I want to steal God's worship for he's not deserving. I don't think anyone would say that. But if we are not intentionally living a lifestyle of worship, we will choose something else. That's just what happens. Life gets in the way. Life is busy and we get distracted and we then give the level of importance to other things in life as opposed to God. So how does a lifestyle of worship look? You know, it's not groundbreaking what I'm going to say here. Um, Reading and studying the Bible. I would clarify that to say outside of church. 
I mean, we, pro, we, we do offer uh, Bible teaching here, but this is something you do personally. You want to read the word of God, allow God to speak to you. We would also pray. That's, that's a lifestyle of worship. Praying is not just laying down my burdens and, and asking God to accomplish what I think is important. Prayer is where we find God's heart and we find God's mind in the matters of daily life. Give me your perspective, God. Help me understand. Let me see the opportunities before me that I can give you glory. Living a lifestyle of worship means we connect with other believers. You hear me say often, uh, we, we invite you to be part of a Bible study, a smaller group of believers that we can look at God's word together. We can talk about God's word. We can apply God's word. We can hold each other accountable. I love worship co- uh, corporately, but I can't disciple you and you can't disciple me in this setting. What this does is it sets us all on the same page of Scripture and allow God to speak to us by His Spirit, and then we're given the opportunity to say yes or no. And when we say yes, the church moves forward with what God has taught. We serve His church. We've read many times in Scripture where God has given us His Spirit to equip us to serve the church. Well, that's how you live a life of worship. The lifestyle of worship includes serving, obeying the Lord's teaching. Why would we read God's word and not obey it? Growing in discipleship. That means I'm growing as a discipler and I'm submissive to be discipled so that I can grow in Christ. And lastly, you tell other people about God. That's the lifestyle of worship. The church can organize and teach and provide opportunities for you to grow spiritually, but we cannot make you grow spiritually. You can't make me grow spiritually. You have to decide for yourself. Am I going to make the commitment to grow? Am I going to make a commitment to a lifestyle of worship? Or will I just continue life as normal. You know, Wednesday nights, we have children's ministry, we have uh, youth ministry, student ministry, college ministry, adult ministry, we have choir. Those are called opportunities. We can't make you come. We would love for you to come because there's something for everyone and it's valuable. Right now, the children are learning the names of God in, on Wednesday nights. And as they learn the names of God, they learn the character of God. That's so important as they are growing up. We're in, the adults are going through uh, the book of 1 John, verse by verse. There's something for you on Wednesday nights. But we can't make you come. We can't make you grow. But we do want to provide an opportunity for you to. And you just got to say yes. Verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? So what the woman brought, expressing in worship, the disciples saw it as wasteful. 
The disciples knew the purpose of anointing. They understood that. They also confessed that Jesus was the anointed one. So why would they refuse the anointing of Jesus? Why would they, in a sense, say, why would you even do this to him? You, you could take that and sell it. We could, we could serve many people with it. We could give the disciples the benefit of the doubt. I find that, that my life represents many of the disciples. I, I often act in ignorance just like the disciples. Something is very plain before me and I often do not see it. We could say they did this out of obedience. What? Refusing the anointing of Jesus out of obedience? How is that possible? Well, we read in Matthew 16 that Jesus said, don't tell people that I'm the Christ yet. (laughs) So maybe they were just being obedient and protecting Jesus from the knowledge of him being the Christ getting out. Or maybe they acted out of ignorance. They understood what the term was, Messiah or the anointed one or Christ. And they confessed that he's the Christ, but they really didn't know the depth of the meaning of what it means to be Christ. Or we can look at verse 9. Why this waste? So the disciples thought that expensive ointment could be put to better use than slathering it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you judge other people's expressions of worship? Do you sit back and say, it's too much? Or that's not enough? Or that seems insincere? They're too emotional. So if if so, if, if you have a heart that recognizes that around you, one of two things has happened. First, God has appointed you as the judge of worship. Or two, your focus is on other people instead of the Lord. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, since God did not appoint you as the judge of worship, that perhaps we have a critical spirit because we're not focusing on the Lord. We're focusing on the people around us. And that can be adjusted really quickly, can't it? We can fix that. As the woman worshiped the Lord extravagantly and sacrificially, she was interrupted by the disciples' commentary. Have you ever been interrupted in worship? I have a story. Um, I, I don't think I've ever told this one. I was a new pastor at a church and I was headed out for an appointment that afternoon. Um, I was going to be away for the weekend. So I had uh, my associate pastor would be preaching for me. I couldn't find him anywhere. I just wanted to touch base with him before I left. I was walking through the church, new church, walking through the church, couldn't find him. And I walked into the sanctuary and, and I hollered. Are you in here? And the funniest thing happened. I saw nothing but a head. 
do this. He was, he was praying at the altar, preparing for Sunday, and I just interrupted him. But when he popped his head up, he looked like one of those toys where the head pops up, you know, whack it down, whack a mole. And I just started laughing. It was the funniest thing that happened. And when I walked away, I was so convicted. I was like, this man was doing exactly what he should have been doing. Come before the Lord in worship and, and just asking God to speak to him so that he could speak to the church and share the message of God. And then the pastor walks in, interrupts him, and then laughs at him. Wow, how do you get started back after that? This woman came to worship and she was doing something special. She was sacrificing extravagantly because she loved the Lord. And then there's the commentary at the side. Why in the world are you wasting that on him? Well, how do we know that they actually interrupted? We look at verse 10 for that. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. It's here that we see the, the three perceptions of the anointing. The woman saw this anointing as an act of worship. The disciples saw the same thing and said, it's wasteful. Jesus saw it and said, this is wonderful. Three perceptions of the same activity. It's all a perception of the heart. Verse 11, Jesus corrected the disciples' perception by taking their, their faces and pointing them to himself. Look at me, not her. Place your attention on me, the object of worship, not her. Likewise, you and I can be so focused on other things, even good things, that we neglect worship. The disciples, it says, they were indignant. And they were indignant because they, they saw that they could have helped other people in need with the sale of that perfume. There's nothing wrong with helping the needy. There's nothing wrong with helping the poor. But for them to be so indignant in, in the, the presence of Jesus... And Jesus clearly said, you know, you're always going to have the opportunity for ministry. You will not always have this moment to worship me. Now, he was speaking physically, wasn't he? Because in the next few days, he would be going to the cross. And then days after that, he would be ascending into heaven. He would no longer be walking with them. But, but it means spiritually also, doesn't it? We, we have an opportunity right now to worship him. Do we take the opportunity? Do we say, you know, the things that I am so distracted with, the people around me, what they're saying, what they're doing, what they think of me, all these things that I am so focused on, isn't he worthy of my attention and my worship? This is a moment that we can worship him. We should help people, but not at the cost of worship. You serve and you give and you minister through the overflow of what God is doing in you. 
Otherwise, we're just trying to do good things. And we're trying to look good to other people. But if it's the overflow of what God's doing in you, that's a result of worship. I've been in the presence of God and he has so filled me, I cannot help but love others. I cannot help but serve others. Therefore, you must intentionally seek his presence and listen to him and do what he says as acts of worship. After defending the woman's actions to the disciples, Jesus explained why this anointing was important. He said, she prepared a corpse for burial. Preparing a corpse for burial. I don't know what they did. I don't know the time frame of this. I don't know if they stopped and mumbled among each other. What in the world is he talking about? He's not dead. But what Jesus was speaking to is his death and burial were imminent in the next week. The very things that that they had hoped for as disciples were going to be gone. But Jesus is going to be dead. Because he was the anointed one of God who would become the sacrifice for our sins. They knew this. It didn't register. We go to Matthew 16. They knew this. They didn't understand. This must happen. This was such a critical event that Jesus wanted it remembered with his gospel. We see that in verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Maybe this is why we don't know her name. Otherwise, you know us, we'd build a statue with her name on it. We'd set it up in a prominent place. We would worship her instead of the Lord. Jesus said, We don't revere the woman. We acknowledge and revere what she did. So what did she do? Summary fashion here. She humbled herself. She expressed the Lord's worth through a sacrificial offering. She anointed Jesus. Nothing given to Jesus in love is wasted because he is worthy of more than we can give. So it's not the amount, it's the heart. What do you give? This woman's act of worship encourages us to love and serve Christ with our best. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He is the great high priest. He is the king of kings. And as you and I recognize Jesus as the anointed one of God, as Christ, we're also saying that he is worthy of all worship. And I pray that you would agree with me on that. Have you refused his anointing? Now, that's a a question you would say, oh, that is just ridiculous. How would I refuse his anointing? 
Well, if you've not acknowledged that that Jesus is the Lord, if you've not turned your life over to his authority, you've refused his anointing. If you're not committing yourself to follow his ways, you have refused his anointing. If you've allowed something or someone to get in the way of your worship, you have refused his anointing. Can I just say that we're all guilty of this? It happens. But what's important is that we acknowledge that it's happening and stop it. You see, repentance could be said this way. It's when I stop refusing the Lord and begin receiving him for that which God anointed him as my Lord, as my Savior, as my friend. When was the last time you recognized the anointing of Jesus? Physically humbling yourself before God, sacrificially offering to him? What is he worth? You know, he gave everything. And we can start from heaven where he gave up his crown to come here, to put on flesh, to live perfectly without sin, though he was tempted to become the sacrifice for our sins, to give his life on the cross, to be buried, and to overcome death three days later to reconcile you to God. For without that, we would be eternally separated from God where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let me ask again, what's he worth to you? Is he worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your life? Is he worthy of your occupation, your dating life, your married life? Is he worthy of your parenting life? Is he worthy of your your hobbies? Is he worthy of your athletics? Is he worthy of your life, your breath, your heartbeat? The answer is yes, he is. But the question is, is he to you? So that's where we start. If we don't, make the intentional decision to pursue that line of relationship, we will always choose something else. Always. Jesus, the anointed one, he said, this is a beautiful thing. What is he saying to you this morning?